You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only, terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday, the ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. And you are welcome to the show as we preview the weekend's action in the company of Timeform's Mark Milligan. Welcome back, brother. Apologize in advance um, for if I just cough and splutter my way through this podcast because I'm a little bit under the weather this afternoon. But, you know, we soldier on, don't we? And, and we soldier on and we, we get the job done. Well, you were handicapped at the start because I had you on mute. <laughs> yeah. What a start! <laughs> Was that clipped? Do we clip that in the edit or does it stay in there to make me look like a complete and utter dope more so than usual? Um... Yeah, listen, hopefully the cough won't overtake you too bad, but you sound okay. Um, you're coughing. I feel fluey, but I don't seem to have the flu anymore, so I, I don't know what the hell's going on. I also don't know what's going on with the comeback of Davy Russell. Literally, this day last week, I interviewed Davy about his retirement. <laughs> and he's back, baby! Right, instant reaction to the shortest retirement in sporting history. What do you make of Davy's comeback? <laughs> I'm pleased. Uh, I'm really pleased. I was I was sad when he retired in the first place. He's an absolute artist in the saddle, isn't he, Davy Russell? And it, it's it's a huge loss to the sport to think that we wouldn't get to see him plying his trade anymore. And we've got a bit of a reprieve, haven't we? Because we're going to get to see him for probably a few months more, maybe longer, depending on how long Jack Kennedy's recovery takes but yeah it was a very short retirement but personally i'm really really pleased that we're going to get to see a bit more of davy russell in the saddle i'm pleased as well um there's a there's a slight concern in the back of your mind there's always going to be a concern with a, a jockey and an injury but you can't live your life that way you have to just go out and do it and when i asked him about of all of the gordon elliott horses that you'd love to partner at cheltenham who would it be 
and I did not think that he would actually be on one of those horses when I asked that question. But he, he instantly said conflated. He didn't even hesitate. Yeah. I thought he was going to say one of the exciting young novices, or even uh, Tiapu, who yeah, has beaten Honeysuckle, beaten Classical Dream, uh, and would be unexposed over staying distances. Who knows how good he, he could be, and, and they think an awful lot of him. Jerry Kalam, who, who won on St. Stephen's Day. But no, it's it was all about conflated. And now he'll get the chance to partner him at the Dublin Racing Festival, and more than likely Cheltenham as well. Because I know that Gordon has been saying that, no, Jack will be back for Cheltenham. I'd love it if he is, and he's one of the best jockeys on both sides of the RC, one of the best horsemen in the world. I don't see at all how Jack Kennedy is back for the Cheltenham Festival. It's a broken leg. It's the fifth time he's had a serious leg injury. Unless he's in a Star Wars back to tank, I don't see how he's back. And, and so Davey is going to be in, in line for those rides at Cheltenham. Uh, and it probably was galling to have to sit there and watch Conflated win the Grade 1 Savills chase, knowing full well he would have been on board. So while he's saying he's back to help out while Jack is out, maybe the best thing for Davey is to just focus on himself, ride to his strengths as long as he's enjoying it, as long as he's happy, and then go out at Punchestown. The thing is, he hasn't been away long enough to get rusty, has he? So that shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> Three weeks. Yeah. And and I'm I'm with you. I think it would be it would be something bordering on miracle proportions, wouldn't it, if Jack Kennedy was to make it back for Cheltenham. We're talking literally sort of eight weeks from now, aren't we? Sixty um, days. I, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to make it. No, I, I don't think so. And I think that might be I think that's probably the main reason why Davey's back. It's not just that he's going to have conflated at the DRF. It's the other rights he'll have as well. But look, we get to enjoy him some more. One of the best jockeys of his generation from that golden generation. Don't know what Dennis Regan makes of all this. And that's an interesting subplot too, is how is this going to work out? Because we don't have entries as we're recording on Thursday for Sunday's racing, but we do have jockey bookings for Saturday. And they make for very interesting reading because he's not going in as the de facto number one until Jack returns. But he is the only jockey that Gordon is... He's the only... Gordon only has one runner in the opening race, a juvenile hurdle, which on paper looks a red-hot race. You've got Blood Destiny. When he won at Cork, William Mullins instantly said, we're going to train him for grade ones. Uh, and he's going to be in action, action in that race on Saturday, along with Nuzret and Common Practice. But the horse that Davey's going to ride is Jazzy Matty. And it's the only horse that Gordon is running, and he's the, the jockey being used. However, in the mayor's hurdle, in the second race, Dennis O'Regan rides Bellator, and Jordan Gadeford will be on Gay Winnie. No ride for Davy. In the handicap hurdle, Davy rides Bodhi Sattva. Jordan Gainford is going to be on Dr. Churchill. And he's not riding in any of the chases. Jody McGarvey rides Andy Dufresne in the Dan and Joan Moore Memorial Handicap Chase. Jordan Gainford will be on board Battle Over Doyen. In the beginner's chase, Ricky Doyle rides the man in the boots for Gordon. And the last race that he could ride in, and should be riding in, you would think, is the novice chase at 322, where Jack in the Box is set to run. Davy's ridden that horse three times. Jordan Gainford has never ridden him, yet Jordan is the one who's on board. So is this just Davy easing himself back in after that lengthy three-week absence to hurdles, and then will slowly but surely come back to, to chasing? Or do you read something into the fact that he's not taking up the option of, of riding in a chase at the weekend? 
no, I think you're probably more with the former, to be honest. I think it's just it's looking just like something of a managed comeback, isn't it? Mm. And he has been away for a few weeks, so he maybe won't be quite at his sharpest. Um, it's, it's, look, things will unravel over the next week or two, won't they? And we'll, we'll find out for certain. But I think I'd just err on the side of it looking like a bit of a managed comeback at this stage. Well, there is romance to a big comeback. And we all love a good comeback. Lester Piggott, um, Frank Sinatra, Robbie Fowler's return to Liverpool, Roy Keane's return for Ireland, Kim Kardashian. She got she got <laughs> coming her back in that video. <laughs> Did we just do this? You went there. You went there. Did we just talk about Davy Russell for a convoluted Kim Kardashian comeback joke? Yes. Yes, of course we did, because we're childish, and that's what it's all about. But no, I'm, I'm delighted he's back, and I'm excited to see what he can do, and he's going to be a big player at the Dublin Racing Festival, and the entries are out today. So, last week you um, accidentally admitted that you tend to Google questions that you've been asked, so you rumbled on that one. It's still hilarious how, like a child, you admitted, I'm just Googling, oh, crap, <laughs> literally said out loud what you shouldn't have said. So... We know that the ticket sales in the UK are huge. I think it's one in four mm. tickets that have been sold for the DRF have been sold to UK customers. That's fantastic. How many British trained racehorses are entered for the DRF? Uh, we're talking the early closers now, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not going to be many. I'm going to go for, I think it'd be less than five, to be honest. I'm going to go for two. Ding, 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 ding. Two. We've all been caught for Nigel Tristan Davis has been entered in the novice hurdle and so Royal's been entered in the Dublin chase. Yeah. It's it's a shame, isn't it? But it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to be on the, the radar of British trainers, does it? Um, for whatever reason. I think it would be great to see more British representation over there. But then most of them are probably thinking, why should we go over there and just get our asses handed to us by the Irish when that's what they tend to do when they come over to Cheltenham anyway? Um, uh, so they're just eschewing it, aren't they? Yeah, that, that's what it comes down to, uh, essentially. The, look, the prize money is huge. The prestige of the DRF is just getting bigger and bigger. It's built around those two key races, the Irish Champion Hurdle and the Irish Gold Cup. Um, and you're set to come over. There's a huge amount of Final Furlong listeners are coming over. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. The amount of people I've been talking to about going racing who are saying they've already got their tickets for the DRF, yet they're not talking about going to Cheltenham. I find that quite intriguing. Don't worry, Cheltenham will be fine. They'll still have probably sold-out crowds for all four days, but there just seems to be more hype about the DRF this time around, and that's very interesting. So, um, yeah, it's looking like the Willie Mullins show again as well, given the, the strength and depth that he has. He's got appreciated Dicer Dino and El Fabiolo in the Irish Arkle. Um, they've got other options as well. James de Burley is also in the Irish Arkle. Uh, Gordon's got Phil Dore. Joseph O'Brien's going to run Banbridge by the looks of things. Irish Point, Hidden Valley Lake, Grange Clare West. Some really exciting horses uh, are all in there, and I'm very much looking forward to the DRF. It's going to be a lot of fun. And a lot of fun to break it down here on the show. Just on Willie Mullins there, do you think it's probably fair to say that he's got the 
the largest amount of strength in depth that he's ever had this season? Oh, that's a It'll great question. Very close, isn't it? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I would say I would say that is a very accurate statement. And what's every everywhere you look, he's he's just stacked, isn't he? Absolutely stacked. Well, let's do a, a very brief, quick comparison here, shall we? Uh, so, Supreme Novice is hardly. He's obviously got that by the short and curlies because he's got Fasal Vega. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Irish. We have the the Moscow Flyer which is one of the key Irish trials for the Supreme. And he is the favourite for that in um, Impair et Passé, who's currently a 12-to-1 shot. Uh, Gaelic Warrior was going to run today, but the meeting was cancelled at Clamel. It's been rescheduled for next week. So he will have the option of the Supreme or the Ballymore. Arkel, he's got the second, third, and fourth favourites and the fifth favourite. And the sixth favourite, who's currently out of action, so take him out of the betting, please. Uh, Champion Hurdle, he's got Statement and Vaughan. Mare's Hurdle, Brandy Love, where is she? Um, Stormy Ireland is still knocking around, and Burning Victory, he's got them as well. Boodles, he's got the favourite for that in Takao. Uh, he has the favourite for the National Hunt Chase in Gayard de Menil, and backup for that. Ballymore, Champ Kylie, Gaelic Warrior, who we mentioned, Ipere Pass, um, and a whole heap of other horses who have either won a bumper or are about to run in a maiden hurdle. Um, Ham is the Burley for the Brown Advisory. Gaelic Warrior and St. Sam are very prominent in the betting for the Carl Cup. Champion Chase, he is the odds-on favourite in Ergamine and the defending champion. And he is the third favourite in Blue Lord. <laughs> Dearie me. Um, Grand Annual, yeah, who cares? Uh, obviously, on the day we care, but not right now. Champion Bumper, he is the favourite for that in Chapo de Soy. In the Turners, Hamas de Burley appreciated El Fabiolo and a number of others. Uh, Ryanair, he's got the favourite in Alaho. So he's got that one. He's got Classical Dream, who is not entered, so I presume they're going straight to Cheltenham, which I like an awful lot because he's better mm. fresh. Uh, he's not in anything at the DRF and he's not in he's not in the Galmoy either, um, which Tiapu is going to run in on Thiesti's day. Agorn. Uh, Mayor's Hurdle, he's got Ashra Diamond, and a couple of others. Uh, Triumph, he, well, he's got the first and second favourites for that in Lossy Mouth and Gala Marsu. Uh, the Potato Race, yeah, there's a couple in there as well. Gold Cup, he has the favourite in Gallop and Deschamps. So basically it's, and he's got the favourite for the Mayor's Chase as well, who will win, Allegor de Vassi. So it's Willie Mullen's world and we're all just living in it. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible, the amount of depth in that stable at the moment. It's just, it must be just a frightening prospect for anyone wanting to take him on at the moment. And yet, Henry de Bromhead, Joseph O'Brien, Gordon Elliott, Gavin Cromwell, they're all training winners. It's not like you can't mm. win a race in Ireland because Willie's got everything wrapped up. You absolutely can. And they're winning big races here too. So it's, it's not, it, he's dominating and he hits six winners on one card at Leopardstown's Christmas meeting on the 27th, and he trained real steel. He's a Willie Mullins cast-off who then goes on to win the Paddy Power Chase. Uh, so he was connected to that horse as well. That was an extraordinary achievement. Um, I, what I thought was even more impressive about that was the entries that he made for Christmas. It was 143 entries he made. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. When I asked Dennis O'Regan that question, Dennis's guess was 55. 
And that's, in normal times, that would be a good guess. 143 entries made for the Christmas racing two weeks before Christmas. That's, that's crazy. The strength and depth he has is, is bonkers. But I, I don't know if it's as dominant as Paul Nichols was when he was just winning every major Saturday race in the mm. Cotto Star days. Like, that was really rubbing people up the wrong way and it riled people up quite a bit. Uh, and I know that there's, there's an anti-Mullins brigade on social and, and other places. And I know that there are people who are frustrated with the strength and depth that he has, but he's built it into this and you still have Gordon Elliott, Henry de Bromhead, Joseph O'Brien, Gavin Cromwell, and plenty of others who are banging in winners too. So it's, it's a strange one. Um, but the way Cheltenham is shaping up, it's not just going to be the Irish domination of Cheltenham, it's going to be the William Mullins domination of it again. Um, how many winners will <coughs> train after, after going through I mean, we haven't even gone into the real depth there. We were just talking about market leaders for those races. How many Cheltenham winners will William Mullins have? Oh, it, it, for me, given the, the depth that he's got now, he's got to be targeting double figures, surely. Yeah. You would think. Um, I, I think ten is is not an unrealistic expectation. Ten is given the, the amount. Ten is the record, isn't it? And and that was yeah. He set that record. I, yeah. I think he'd be a bit disappointed if he if he's not clocking in ten winners again this season. Uh, for all that publicly it's, it's he would just, say, nah, it's not about that. We don't look at it that way." But I, <laughs> I think they absolutely would. His strike rate as well. I mean, he's currently at twenty eight percent strike rate at the moment, isn't he? This season, that is just insane. That is an insane strike rate for any trainer to have flat or jumps. He's just he's taken the bar. He's not only raised it; he's literally put it into the stratosphere, hasn't he? It's crazy. Here's your bar. And now here's where you have to go from now on. Here's the standard you, you now have to achieve. It's outrageous what he's doing. It really is. And um, yeah, he's set for another big weekend in, in Ireland. But we will begin our preview at Warwick. And there is a new feature, added pressure. Not only are you and I trying to get gravy for our loyal listeners, but we're also trying to get gravy for the Injured Jockeys Fund. Because BetDAC are giving us a £50 each free double treble accumulator to do at the end of the show. Uh, you can find out more about BetDAC multiples at BetDAC.com. And uh, thanks to Aaron, Barry, and the whole team at BetDAC for this very, very generous, um, very generous offer, a very generous thing to do. And we will endeavor to try to make money for the Injured Jockeys Fund. No pressure on either of us, uh, but we'll begin that today. So... We'll, we'll work it out, whether it's a double or a treble or an accumulator, but that's what we're going to do, um, and that's going to come at the end of the show. BetDAC.com, where you get 0% commission for your first 30 days uh, as a member of BetDAC, so get involved now. Uh, prices are currently available, and by the way, you can do those uh, doubles, trebles, accumulators on multiple sports. It's not just restricted to the one, so get involved, have a look at it, BetDAC.com, um, and we'll find out who Mark's double or treble is in a little bit, uh, and mine as well. And Mark is in tremendous form. We'll start with the 150 at Warwick. We're skipping that race at Kempton because it bored us to tears. So we're straight into grade two company, a four-runner race on heavy ground. Paul Nichols has got the six to five favorite in complete unknown. Lorcan Williams on board, uh, his old assistant trainer uh, and now sparring partner in the championship, Dan Skelton. 
teams up with his brother Harry uh, for uh, Gala de Litu, who was pulled up behind Time Hill in the Cottage Star Novices chase. Uh, the Gopher comes over for Gordon Elliott, Sam Ewing on board as a 72 shot and gentleman at arms. Kieran Gethings uh, for Stuart Edmonds rounds things off as a 12 to 1 shot. Who do you like? Yeah, I, I was quite impressed by Complete Unknown's chasing debut at Foss last, last month. Um, I, I just didn't necessarily think I wanted to be with him at a short price in here because I don't think he's got that much in hand of, of one or two of the others in here. Gallia Dilita, she seemed to be completely unsettled by an early error, didn't she, at, at Kempton over Christmas and that completely put her out of any sort of rhythm. I thought at the it was certainly the prices that I was looking at earlier that the the gopher or the goffer of Gordon Elliott's was going to be the value in here. Look, I think there's every chance he just bumped into one last time with Hardor. I think Hardor's a, a really good horse and it just goes back to what we were saying, doesn't it, about Willie Mullins and his strength in depth in literally every department. I don't think there was any disgrace in losing out to that one by 11 lengths. He was 36 lengths clear of the third horse, Marvel de Cerisi, who's probably a decent animal in his own right and is probably better than he could show there. Gordon Elliott has got a really good record when he comes over to this country. He's he's running a, a couple at Warwick, on Saturday, interestingly, this one, the, the Gopher, has the highest official rating of all these, and yet of complete unknown Gallia Dilliter and himself, he's the, the biggest prize of the three. So for me, it was just a, a bit of a no-brainer to try and snaffle a little bit of value in a four-runner race. And he had Manila Crooner in this, but he's taking Manila Crooner to Punchestown. Um, and, and so the gopher or gopher, whichever, whichever pronunciation you want to go for, uh, that's, this ends up being the selected one uh, to go. And look, Gordon's got a great record coming over to the UK. Um, it is remarkable the amount of money that's come in for that horse. I, I suppose it's just a, by virtue of how many non-runners there are. Um, and at one point, Stage Star was in this race. I, I was inclined to go with Dan Skelton's horse as well, um, or I should say against you, uh, and go for, for, Gordon, for Dan Skelton's horse. Her record going right-handed is zero from three. Now, is that what went against her at Kempton? And if it is, why did they do that in the first place? Because she'd already been beaten twice. So they might have just felt, look, that race fitted into the calendar and she would be a little bit more mature now. Um, as a, She's now seven, she would have been six. Uh, that Maybe she had grown up and, and matured. And she had been a hugely impressive winner at Bangor, but she made two bad errors in that race as well. And... If you forgive her those and you factor in that she was going right-handed and she's now returning to left-handed, then she would be very interesting. But she did make two bad mistakes. And if you're going to do that here, you might get away with one. You won't get away with two. So I, I like her, but I don't like the price. So I I'll skip. And um, I think the, the gopher, gopher, goofer uh, could be the, the one to follow. As um, as Mark Milligan says, two of five at Kempton is the Silvaniaco Conti chase. It's great too. We get six runners. Soft ground. Pick Dory for Paul Nichols. Obviously, he wants to win this race. And Pick Dory is 
Uh, we're still got a terrific record at Kempton, six to four with Betdak as we record. Uh, Fergal O'Brien's "Paint the Dream" is a five to two shot. St. Calvados, uh, second gone for Paul Nichols here, but again you've got David Maxwell, and I'm sorry, David, but that was an awful ride at Ascot uh, when beaten at seven to two on. But um, the horse is definitely capable of popping up. And if David gets things right, then that 9-2 could be big. Angel's Breath on first run for Sam Thomas, having switched from uh, Nicky Henderson, is a 12-1 to shot with Betdak and Sam Tristan Davis will ride. <coughs> Who do you like in the Silver Nioko Conti? Yeah, keen on Pick Dory in here. I think there's a strong argument to say that he's better than ever at the age of eight. Now, he'd had a second wind up before his comeback at Newton Abbott and then I thought he was really impressive he only won by two lengths but the way he jumped and travelled in the Peterborough Huntingdon last time he tended he took everything out of their comfort zones really with his his really quick jumping around there and if he jumps as fluently here as he did in the Peterborough at Huntingdon he's going to have a lot of these in trouble a long way out, I think. And like you say, that Paul Nichols is, is obviously keen to win this, uh, the race named after Silviniaco Conti. I, I didn't really want to be with St. Calvados under David Maxwell. Um, I think Pigdor, he's, he's the correct favourite in here. He's not going to be a massive price, but I thought he was by far the most likely winner. Yeah, I love that Peterborough run as well. And he is two from two since the wind up over the summer. And, and that seems to have just about done the job for him. Uh, if he builds on the Huntington performance, if he's better than he was that day, then good luck. Um, and, and he's banker material in, in my mind. He's definitely a contender for the Betdak double. For sure. Uh, 2.25, as we go back to Warwick, is the Ballymore Lemington Novices Hurdle Great 2. And we've got a 3-1 to one favorite from Paul Nichols. Big weekend for Paul Nichols. Nosley Road, Lorcan Williams on board, three to one with Betdak as we record. Ginny's Destiny, Tom Lacey, Stan Shepherd, seven to two. Same price about Dan Skelton's Grey Dawning, who won on Boxing Day, uh, impressively in the closing handicap on the King George card. And then there's Gary and Jamie Moore's Gavega. And look no further in my mind. Uh, also won on Boxing Day, uh, but in lesser company. It was a, a novice hurdle, but did so very, very impressively. Um, he is going to have to carry uh, 11 stone 2, but guess what? Everything is carrying 11 stone 2. Uh, I like his prospects an awful lot here, and I particularly like that price. Um, who are you leaning on here? Oh, I think... Um, do you remember Sale of the Century? We've got a difference of opinion, Jeffrey, back in the, the 1970s. I know the, I know the reference. <laughs> I know the reference. <laughs> but can't say that I watched the show. I have a feeling we, we could well have two naps going up against each other here. <gasps> what? Because you're obviously very, very keen on, on Gavega, and I know that you, you're keen on Gavega because we've spoken about this horse before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. I really like Nosley Road in here. Like, I really like him. I was impressed with his run at Chepstow last time. I was impressed by the way he travelled. I was impressed by how fluently he jumped. For me... He looked a grade one winner in waiting there, the way he went through that race. I think it's interesting that he's now stepping up to grade two company. I think it's a a good race for him, this. It's not an easy race by any means. I think five of the the field are are boasting the time form P. But for me, Nosley Road, 
is the most impressive of the five that have all got the time form P, and I was very, very keen on him in here. There's very little between all of these. Like, Mexico has a rating of 125, which is the lowest in the race, and the highest is Ginny's Destiny, 133. They're the official ratings. Um, but Vega is right there at 130, you know, Grey Dawning, 129. Like, they're all very closely matched. Um, and I... I Absolutely take on board everything you're saying, and when you're putting a horse up, then you need to take notice. But I was on air on, on TalkSport when Gavega made his debut. It was the 24th of November. I was blown away by how well he travelled. They backed him very heavily before the off. Uh, I've mentioned before about how horses running for Gary Moore can often improve from their first run. Sometimes they can be a little bit ring rusty. Um, Inniston is a good example of that. You know, he was the one that Gary thought was going to win, and then the nutcase, um, who's the brother to editor Jeet, ends up going winning. This fellow's related to racing royalty as well. He's from the he's from the family of Guvega. Um, I don't think he's going to be of that quality, but what he's done so far has been very impressive. Uh, they backed him off the boards for his debut, and he travelled very powerfully throughout that race and pulled clear really easily. Um from about two out and he smacked the last hard and yet he still had so much class and so much momentum that he buried his rivals that day um won by 13 links very very impressive he was entitled to win uh, and was a very short price favorite on boxing day um but he maintained his unbeaten record not in flashy fashion but he was very much on top i think he's an exciting prospect and, and clearly there have been issues with him because he's seven and he's only had two starts. But he's a horse full of potential and I want to stick with him until it's very clear not to be with him. And so I'm, I'm sticking with him for, for the weekend. I think, he's, I think he's the one who has the most potential and if there is a, a spring festival winner in this race, I think it's Kuvega. So I'm I'm going to stick with him, and I'm delighted with the price thirteen to two, with Betdak as we record. Very happy about that. So I'm I'm going to go with him, but full respect. Uh, and, and just finally, just remind us your selection. Uh, Nosley Road for me. I when I, when I saw him win at Chepstow last month, I immediately thought he'd be ideal for something like the the Challo at Newbury. But of course, we know that. Paul Nichols had an absolute machine ready to win that race, didn't we? Mm-hmm. In Hermes LM. So this is a, a perfectly good backup option for me. I, I'm keen on Nosley Road in here. We are taking each other on, my man. We are taking each other on. Uh, <laughs> Nosley Road for you and Givega for me. We'll head back to Kempton for the 240 and the Lanzarote, their feature race, where the 4-1 to favourite... Is Mr. Charles Burns sending over another one to the UK with Green Glory? Philip Burns on board, claiming the five, and he is stealing that five pounds. Outlaw Peter for Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden has been well supported in the five to one shot now from Dubrovnik Harry, 15 to two for Harry Fry. Uh, West Balboa, Dan Skelton, and Bridget Andrews is an eight to one shot. Who do you like, Mark Milligan? On the face of it, this is a really competitive hurdle, isn't it? But potentially it could be anything but because green glory could still be chucked in off a mark of 127, particularly with Philip Burns taking off that five pounds. 
he was ridden really patiently last time. And as you say, Philip Burns, he's, he's an excellent ride. He's full value for that five pounds, isn't he? And Green Glory was value for much more than the one length he won by last time. He won that off a 111. The handicapper has clearly taken few chances in bumping him up the best part of a stone and a bit for that. But he's still unexposed in a field of horses, plenty of whom have been sort of around the houses and we know lots about. And I think when Charles Burns sends one over from Ireland, we really have to sit up and take notice. He's not massive value on the face of it. Four to one in a a competitive looking handicap hurdle. But, you know, he's still, for me, he's got the potential to be a 140-plus horse over hurdles. And if he's going to be that good, then he needs to be taking this with plenty in hand, right? Yeah, this could be overthinking it and and doing all the work to come up with a form selection using pro form figures and stats and all kinds of stuff. And it's just, you should have just backed Green Glory. (laughs) Charles Burns is bringing another one over and... He absolutely tears it up. Uh, he's a massive danger to everything. And that price is fair. That 4 to 1 is is, is fair. Uh, doesn't sound like I'm backing him, though, does it? Because I'm, because I'm not. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued by Outlaw Peter. He's... This is a big day for Paul Nichols. He's sending out a lot Ooh. of big guns. Uh, it's almost reminiscent of his old days of being able to just dominate, every, crushing all Saturdays. Um... He's only raced half a dozen times, uh, but he's won twice, including a course and, course and distance win back in May. Um, and he chased home poor old Three Stripe Life, uh, who we, we tragically we tragically lost uh, in, in his bumper back in the day um, and has been held in pretty high regard. And while he started his life... Uh, with Paul Nichols after he was trained by the shark initially. I need to talk to the shark about him. Um, shark Hanlon had him initially and he started life off really well winning at Worcester. Uh, and then just kind of didn't derail. He ran okay at Exeter. He bumped into the unstoppable force that is constitution Hill um, at, at, at Sandown. But those, the run during the summer at Kempton, when he was a long odds on favourite, his uh, run at Chepstow in October, when he was only just beaten by Accidental Rebel, I thought that was uh, a fine performance. And then he just came into his own at Exeter. Um, he absolutely bolted up that day. So you're talking about a horse who was second in a, in a Persian war uh, at Chepstow, um, was considered for the Chalo, uh, another one to mention um, that was, was in contention for that race, but obviously connections as you've already mentioned had Hermes Ellen. Uh this this has been the target for quite some time and it just seems to fit perfectly for him and the fact that he's a course and distance winner on a nice weight and a mark of 130 I'll take the chance in outlaw Peter but if green glory looms up alongside him at the last it could be game over um, but outlaw Peter is who I'm going to side with um, it is green glory for Mark Milligan uh, as we go back to Warwick for their feature race, the Widgley Group Classic Chase Premier Handicap, which has produced two Grand National winners in the last decade. Uh, the going is heavy, and we've got Mr. Incredible, who we talked about at length in the Christmas previews. 
Uh, now with Willie Mullins, second run for him after being brought down at Leopardstown in the Paddy Power Chase. He's a 5-1 to one shot. 300 through 5, who unseated his rider in the Hennessy. 11-2, Guttepon Collange for Charlie Longsden. And the famous green and gold, Frankie Tightlips, 15-2. to two. Grumpy Charlie for Chris Honor and James Bone is an 8-1 to one shot. Who are you with, my friend? Yeah, I mean, having waxed lyrical about Willie Mullins at the start of this podcast, I'm probably going to look really stupid in taking on Mr. Incredible here uh, because he seems like the logical one. At Warwick on Saturday, would that be right? You just happened to break up there, and it's, and it's not your fault. It's it's three who are the absolute worst company to deal with, and why I renewed with them, it's my fault, is beyond me. But anyway, that's my other rant about uh, three and their unbelievably bad coverage. <laughs> His form figures don't exactly give you encouragement. Brought down, pulled up, refused to race, second, and absolutely thumped by a Hoy Senor when sent off the 11-10 to 10 favorite. But we talked about him at length for the Paddy Power purely from the perspective that it's Paul Byrne who's bought him, moved him to Willie from uh, from the Henry de Bromhead yard, which you know, Henry's a genius uh, and had won races with him prior to that. But the market move that came for him was really interesting in the Paddy Power because it didn't come until five minutes before the off. And they came, was it 11s into 7s? Uh, and who knows what would have happened? Yeah. Who knows what would have happened? Um, he he has an Irish mark of one forty for that race. Still in Britain, he's still on one forty two. Uh, he, he's a very very interesting runner, and and obviously Brian is coming over for the ride as well. Um, if Willie's capable of getting him back, and he must have been thought capable of running a massive race at Leopardstown for that market move to come in. But you are you're basically putting all your faith in Paul Burns' eye for a horse, which is exceptional and Willie Mullins' ability, which is also exceptional. But you couldn't be overly bullish about him. No, and the thing is, you're being asked to back him as favourite as well, aren't you? Yeah. In here. Um, Look, it it could make us look really, really stupid, couldn't he? But I think, given his overall profile, you've probably got to take him on. And one horse in here who's been around the block, he's done it before, he's on a reasonable mark, he's no spring chicken now but Lord de Maynil oh, I was going to say, is that, are you going to mention Lord de Maynil? Excellent. Yeah, I, I think he's really, really interesting in here. Look, this is going to be an attritional test isn't it? It's three mile five furlongs in what will be very soft ground he loves this sort of test. He's, a, he's an out and out stayer he loves deep ground. That was a really good run at Banger in November when he was second to Lamilos. And it's mm-hmm. worth noting that he went without his usual cheek pieces there as well. Those are back on on Saturday. He's, if I've got my calculations right, I think he's three pounds below his last winning mark as well. He's now on one four six. I think his last win came off one four nine. I think there's plenty in Lord Demaniel's favour here. The, the deep ground, the stamina test. He's handicapped, certainly, to run a very, very big race. And the cheek pieces are going back on. I think there's plenty to like with Lord Demaniel in here. Yeah, the conditions are the key angle with him. And when we previewed the Welsh National, Dennis O'Regan was very interested in him. And he was a big price for that race. 
And part of the reason he was so intrigued by him was, uh, and he tipped him for it, was conditions. Um, however, they didn't end up coming in his favour and he was pulled out, as was 300 through 5. And they're the two horses that I would be going for here. Um, but what swings it to Lord de Manil's favour, and we're very much on side, uh, is this these conditions are ideal for, for Lord de Manil. They might be okay for 300 through 5. He'll, he'll probably handle it. Like, he's got form on, on soft, but this is heavy. It's heavy as we're recording, and it's set to be heavy on Saturday as well. I don't think there's a whole lot of drying between now and then. Um, and Lord de Manil will absolutely love that. And he's getting a, a slight bit of weight, not enough in, in these conditions for it to be any way telling, I, I think. Um, but he's, he's not the most consistent of horses, but that performance yeah. at Bangor was suggesting he's ready to to be running a massive race in a handicap like this. Um, and I thought he was ideally suited for the Welsh National. This is as close to that. And three mile five around Warwick on heavy ground will just be ideal for him. Eight to one about Lord de Manil or five to one about Mr. Incredible? I'd go Lord de Manil. Um, and, yeah. and I think the danger to him is 300 through five. Mr. Incredible could win this. And we talked about him at length at Christmas time. I'm not dismissing him at all. It's a price thing. If he was, if he was eight, which was available this morning, I'd probably back him. He's not. And he's only going one way by the looks of things. It's only going to get shorter. So uh, I'm with you, Lord de Manil, to land the sweep for us in the classic chase at Warwick and eight to one with Betdak as we record, which takes us to Warwick. Uh, we will stay there. We are done with Kempton. 335 is the Temps handicap hurdle. Ashtown lad, uh, a winner over fences last time is the 11 to 4 favourite, the Bomber Liston for Nicky Henderson and Paul O'Brien, a 9 to 2 shot, well supported. David Pipe has got Paracore, ran a good race last time out at Chepstow behind top of the bill and has been well supported from 15 to 2 into 5 to 1. And Ronald Pump uh, will make the journey over as well. Brian Hayes again on board, uh, an 11 to 2 shot uh, for Kieran Murphy. Who do you like? Yeah, I'm going to take a chance on. The top weight in here, Sire de Berle, because this is a massive class drop for him compared to the races he has been contesting. And we only have to go back to last April, don't we? When he was notching time form ratings very close to 160 in winning the Liverpool hurdle, beating Flooring Porter there. And I don't think there's been enough evidence in his runs since then to suggest that he's a back number. It could be that he's just been brought along gradually and been a little bit overfaced as well. Now he's an 11-year-old. This is, look, what Ronald Pump's a, a really good staying type, isn't he? But the rest of these, they're not, they're pretty much of a muchness to me. Yeah. Sire de Burley, we're talking a, a genuine, at his best, a genuine grade one staying hurdler, aren't we? Well, it's only, and, what, is it five starts when he won at Aintree? Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is, look, this is a massive class drop. It's the class angle for me here. If he retains most of that ability from Aintree, they're not going to stop him here off a mark of 154. We've got to take it a little bit on trust, I think. He's an 11-year-old now. Maybe he's not quite as good, but that was less than 12 months ago, wasn't it, at mm -hmm. Aintree, that he was beating Florian Porter? Yeah. Um, look, 
at the prices, I think it was about eight to one when I was going through this race earlier. It's just a no-brainer for me to take side of Billy on the class angle here at that sort of price. The one thing that would worry me about him is, and I'd be very keen for your view on this, is there an attitude problem with him? Is he the official wording on the in-running comments is reluctant to line up mm. and then reminders soon after start and, and raced in last, pushed along, looked reluctant before eighth, struggling from ninth, tailed off from three out, pulled up after two out. Uh, and he wasn't exactly loving life behind Tiapu at Ferry House either. I saw him in the paddock that day and he was a wild price and he never really got it, got involved at all. Is If we're going to be really picky, uh, is there a... a a risk that now that he's turned 11 that there's a bit of an attitude issue coming into to his style of running yeah I think I think you're right to highlight that he did look a bit reluctant to set off last time he was getting some early reminders he didn't look like he was entirely in love with the game what sways it for me though is we're not dealing with a two to one or five to two favorite here are we we're, mm. we're dealing with a horse who's, who's going to be eight to one, maybe even a touch bigger. So I would be at this level prepared to take a chance on him. He'd not looked that moody in his previous few starts. For me, that was the first little hint of temperament that we got at Leopardstown over Christmas. And, you know, unless we see that on a consistent basis, I might be prepared to just draw a line under that saying maybe he just wasn't on a going day. We all have bad days, don't we? I'm having one today, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we're going to get eight, nine to one about him. If he's if he's on a going day and he's anywhere near that form that he showed at, at Aintree in April, this lot will struggle to cope with him. Let me say this to you about Ronald Pump. His record in handicaps reads as follows. Fourth, first, first, first in handicaps over three miles. It's it's a decent record, isn't it? Um, were you a little bit disappointed with him at Clonmel? Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, I, I was more than a little that, disappointed with him. I th- he thought he went out like a light there. Yeah, that that would be a bit of a, a worry for me. And he wasn't very good at Listall the time before, was he? Um, he go back just a bit further than that. He was beaten at five to two down Royal at Cork. He was beaten at odds on, wasn't he? Mm. I I thought it was worth uh, mentioning that. Uh, because he has the back class and the fact that his record in handicaps is as strong as it is. The the horse that I was most interested in before you started talking about Sarah de Burley and the glowing terms that you have, and I think he's probably the way to go now because of the price angle, but Glimpse of Gala was the one I was interested in. Now, when I was interested in her, she was a bigger price than she is now. She's now sevens. Um, but I love that performance at Kempton. She's very classy and a model of consistency. And it's difficult to see her out of the first three, certainly out of the first four. Um, and Bradley Roberts has struck up a great partnership with her too. And that step up in distance from Ascot to Kempton, as slight as it was, uh, might have very well have helped sway things around and, and turn the form around with uh, Coquelot, 
got to be careful with that pronunciation. Um, <laughs> but the step up in distance here will help even further. So glimpse of Gala off a mark of 10 stone six with Bradley Roberts claiming another seven, I thought was was interesting. And then you come along with Sarah de Burley, which makes, just turns my head completely because it is the class edge. And this is, this is the horse who beat Flooring Porter at Aintree in a grade one. Now he's in a handicap and he's eight to one. Yeah, that's... It's intriguing. It's it's absolutely intriguing, and um, he's he's a proper proper racehorse. And Gordon had, I think he had seven or eight entries for this, uh, and this is who he's whittled it down to. So, yeah, Sarah burley has got to be very very. I suppose, high I suppose what we could say, given that he looked a little bit reluctant at the start last time, if if people want to be with him, maybe just wait until they set off and back him in running. Yeah. See, see if his see if his head is screwed on the right way. If he sets off on terms, doesn't look because it was right at the start last time when he looked moody. He almost looked reluctant to race, didn't he? If people want to be ultra cautious, just just wait and just just back him once they've set off. I think that's a very good idea. Um, and you're going to get to see what kind of an attitude he brings to the race course this time as well. Is he actually up for it like he was at Aintree, even at Punchestown when he was only four lengths behind Classical Dream? Is he? That Sire de Burley, or is he the Sire de Burley who on his last two starts just looked to have zero interest in what was going on? Uh, so post up a price on BetDAC and then try to get that price uh, when they when they jump off, as long as he actually jumps. But in terms of placing a bet before the race, we're getting compensated with the 8-1. Yeah. It's, it's a gamble, but he absolutely is the class edge if he can bounce back. Um, right, brief word about the Moscow Flyer, which... I don't know how many times Willie Mullins has won this. I do now. How many times has Willie Mullins won the Moscow Flyer in the last 10 years? Now, I'm not Googling, but I did read, I read some of his previous winners of this race, and that's, that's a, it's a cracking roll of honour, isn't it? Um, I'm going to go for six. See, I'm starting to think that you are Googling all of this and you have it in front of you despite the fact that you're telling us not, because you blurted it out last week. You are indeed correct, sir. It is six wins. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I honestly didn't Google that, but oh, I yeah, did. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I, you did. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually just checked some of the, his previous winners of the race when I was doing the research for this. And Votur, Duvan, Min, Dysart, Dynamo. What, what a roll of honour. It's extraordinary. It, it really is. And it's one of the most important novice hurdles of the season. And the one that William Mullins has decided to opt to run is Imper et Pass, who was an 18-length winner at Nace on debut for the yard, uh, and obviously is ex-French. Uh, five to two on with Betdak as we're recording. Gordon Elliott, who's won two of the last three, two of the last four renewals. Uh, so I forgot, Ronan McNally popped up in this with the real deal in 2021, causing um, a mighty upset. And mm. rattling everybody's cages. And well, better not mention too much about Ronan McNally these days. Anyway, anyway, uh, Gordon's got to imagine, having won two of the last four, I'm convinced this horse is only going to... He was due to run in the Lawlers. Uh, I'm convinced he is graded class, but they're probably trying to get him handicapped for the Martin Pipe, which he's not eligible for yeah. right now, but will be after he lines up in this. Uh, not sure if he's good enough to win. Um, Gordon's also got... She could have been... She could be anything who was a very impressive winner at Limerick uh, over Christmas. Uh, the Model Kingdom's in there for Noel Mead. And there's a backup for Willie Mullins, because, you know, it's always good to have a backup. Tax for Max, uh, who was kept busy on the flat over the summer, clashing with Waterville. 
uh, and won over hurdles against Falcon 8 last time out. Um, so a good backup for the Mullins camp, but not as exciting as Impair a pass. Uh, is it all about the Willie Mullins horse here? Yeah, I think so. I'm beginning to sound a bit like a, a stuck record when we preview these um, top races in Ireland. When I go back and then I say I was so impressed by Impere pass pass or passes debut for the stable. Give me Nace, a generic. Was, give me a generic line about a Willie Mullins horse <laughs> who was impressive on debut ahead of their next start. Go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because what, I'll do, was what very... I'm going to do is I'm going to copy this, right? And from going forward, all you will have to do is say, insert name of horse. Yeah. So you can go, oh, well, this horse made a very eye-catching debut. It traveled beautifully, looked, to, looked the pick of the paddock, and it was oh so easy for insert name of jockey. And this horse really should be winning on second start for the yard. If he yeah. doesn't win, it would be hugely disappointing. And we'll just copy and paste that in for each race for the weekend. It- it seems like every every week now I'm talking about a horse that's been so impressive on debut for for Willie Mullins and has travelled well, jumped well, and uh, but oh, it's I can't I'm struggling to wrap my head around how many good recruits he's unleashing, and this could be another one because he looked an absolute star at Nace. I thought just before Christmas. The way he travelled, he travelled like the wrath of God there. But 18 lengths between him and the second horse, he jumped adequately, made, I would say, one fiddly little error. But it, it wasn't much to write home about. And was just in a completely different league to everything in that race. And he just looks another top-class prospect off the Willie Mullins production line. There's not really much more I can add to that. Yeah, I think he'll win. Um, he's probably safe enough to put in the double or treble for the weekend. Um, but I like Imagine. I do like that horse. I just don't think he is at grade one level, whereas in Pere Pass, we're guessing to a certain extent as to how good he can be. But he's exciting, and uh, look, I'm not falling over myself to take five to two on about him. But that was that had you dreaming of Cheltenham Festival success that that mm. debut win at Nace, and he already had a pretty big reputation going into it, and then he manages to confirm that on the track. Uh, I know Imagine is held in high regard too, but I, I was disappointed. Navin, I didn't mind so much. I was a little bit disappointed with him at Gorn, and I maintained that the the horse who finished third that day, Spanish Harlem, is actually the one to be with. Um, and I, I know the way you're, you're thinking really couldn't lay a glove on Champ Kylie the other day. So that doesn't do a whole lot for the form either. But uh, I, I have this thing in my head with Imagine that the plan for him is the Martin Pipe. Was I told? Maybe. Uh, but I suspect that's what they're doing with him. And in that regard, uh, it's all about the, the Willie Mullins trained favourite. Look, let's see what he can do. Uh, and just a brief mention for another Willie Mullins horse that we're going to see in action over the weekend, having his second start for the yard, and that's Flamebearer will be in action on Saturday. Uh, he was bitterly disappointing on his debut for the yard. Um, he travelled really well and then just emptied. Um, they're dropping him three furlongs in trip. And I was surprised how... What, by the way, has Mark Boylan said what he's doing? Mark, Mark has left the Racing Post. Um, has, has Mark announced what, what he's moving on to? 
Not, not that I'm aware of. Well, whatever it is, best to look to him because he's a real loss to the Racing Post. That stable tour he did with Willie Mullins was incredibly detailed. Uh, and he got some great stuff out of him in that. Uh, uh, we're going to miss him from the Racing Post for sure. But um, Willie went out of his way to talk about how excited he is about Flame Bear. And uh, it, to me, it just seemed like he wasn't fit enough which is an unusual thing to say about a Mullins horse. But the way he stopped so quickly, having travelled so, so well in that beginner's chase, uh, I suspect that he will just come on. And he, he is into a new training regime. You know, he switched from the Doyle yard to the Mullins yard. Um, Paul Ferguson, who's back on the show very soon with Weatherby Specials, talked about him at the start of the season too and the prospects that he would have. Uh, he's grade one class. We saw that when he chased home statement at Punchestown. Willie was talking about him as being a grade one chaser this year. I fully believe that's what he will be. And the drop in distance, I think, will suit him. He's probably going to be odds on, but he can go into a double treble accumulator. Uh, Flame Bearer would definitely be one to, to follow. And just with a view to the spring festivals, is definitely going to be one to keep a close eye on as well. So he's in action on the Saturday. And then Willie's got the odds on favorite for the Moscow Flyer on the Sunday. Right. Time to get. No pressure, sir. Remember now, these funds, anything that we win, goes to the Injured Jockeys Fund. This is the BetDAC multiple. It's £50 for you, £50 for me, to do on our bets for the weekend, courtesy of BetDAC. Find out more at betdac.com, and their multiples are available for you now. What is your BetDAC multiple, starting with your nap of the weekend? Right, so, if you, the single, the nap, will be Nosley Road in the 225 at Warwick. I'm not impressed. <laughs> How dare you? Da- <laughs> For the bet that multiple, I'm going to double Nosley Road with Pick Dorhey in the 205 at Kempton. Go for him. Keep it simple. Go for a double. Think they'll both win. And at least one of us then will be landing some money for the injured jockeys fund. Yes, and you say at least one of us because I'm clearly taking you on. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Scoundrel. Um, and I will make him my nap then as well. I was going to go next best, but no, he's the nap, Gavega. Gavega for the Moore team. Um, we'll send the horse psychologist from Moore's round to Mark Milligan's afterwards. Uh, 225 Warwick. Gavega <laughs> is the nap. <clears throat> uh, Pictori is obviously the next best. Uh, and, and I'm going to throw in Impere Pass to boost the winnings. So I'll do a treble with Bet Deck. So pick Dory, next best, Imperi Pass to boost some bit of winnings, and Givega is the nap. Um, that's going to be pretty sickening if I have to wait 24 hours only to see Imperi Pass then get beaten by Imagine, who I keep saying is going to be you, you a good thing. You, you won't have to wait that long. You'll, you'll know your fate after the 225. <laughs> <as well>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Record that, play that back out next week when Gavega crushes everything. Remind him. Remind him whose house he's in and what he said. The most likely thing that's going to happen here, Mark, is that that is indeed going to be replayed. And it's how you were right and I was very much wrong. And I have to just bow down, eat the humble pie, peas and carrots still being cleaned up in the TV room, and uh, just have to bow to your superior knowledge. Look. As, as long as one of us is right and we, we can trouser a bit of cash for the, the injured jockeys, but that's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, yeah, let's not lose sight of what this is all about. It's about <laughs> yeah. the charity. It's not about the bragging rights or who's 
who got the the win at the weekend. It's not about that at all. It's very much about that. Uh, but listen, great from from BetDAC, uh, all for an incredibly worthy cause as well for the Injured Jockeys Fund. Uh, and you can find out more at betdac.com. And hey, betting with BetDAC supports the Final Forum podcast as well. So remember that too. Um, and uh, time to sign up now. Take advantage of the 0% commission uh, for the next month and roll up the dollars for the Cheltenham Festival, because you know Milligan's coming in hot with more big bets uh, over the next few weeks as we build up 60 days to the Cheltenham Festival. 60 days, my man. Betback.com for more. Uh, Right, you are back with us again on Thursday as we preview uh, more weekend racing. Uh, We are also going to start doing a series of Cheltenham Festival specials. Mark does not know this yet. Because (laughs) normally in the world of broadcasting, you have production meetings and you say, so listen, we want you to come on this show and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But what's the fun in that, Mark? (laughs) So we're teaming up with Weatherbees again. Another discount, Final Furlong Podcast, gravy train discount for the loyal Final Furlong Podcast listeners for Paul Ferguson's excellent Weatherbees Cheltenham Festival betting guide. And as a part to celebrate that and to give you the promo code, we are going to record a series of anti-post Cheltenham specials with Paul and with Mark Milligan, who is literally finding out in real time that this is happening just like you. So we'll coordinate dates and everything, but it's yourself, Paul Ferguson and myself as we do some Cheltenham specials. And I'm looking forward to that. Sounds like fun. Because I have not been as active anti-post as I normally would be. And it's annoying me. And you know what I'm really annoyed about? What's that? Watching Banshees of Inishirn and going, that's the best film I've seen in a year and it's going to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Looking up the odds, seeing 10 to 1, going, I don't think I can get a bet on with them. And then leaving it alone, going back onto Odds Checker to discover he's now the film is now 4s, only it's now 2 to 1. Uh, there is a, a nice bonus, though, in that I did manage to back Banshees of Inisherin to win best is it best comedy or musical, whatever stupid category they have at the Golden Globes. Uh, it was two to one to win that, and everything, everywhere, all at once was the odds-on favorite. I went, nah, that's no. It's a good film, and Michelle Yeoh is amazing in it, and the actors won their respective awards. But Banshees of Inisherin is by far the best film of the last year. And it did indeed win. Uh, McDonough won Best Director. Uh, Colin Farrell won Best Actor. If you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's amazing. It's a dark comedy. Kerry Condon, Brendan Gleeson, the, the trio from In Bruges. The director, Martin McDonough, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Gleeson. The chemistry from that film is still there. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and Barry Cohen and um, Kerry Condon are in it as well. It's a, it's a fantastic film. It's, it's a bit dark. But it's a fantastic film, and I would highly recommend uh, that you watch that on Disney Plus this weekend, and then ask Bet Dak for prices on it for Best Picture at the Oscars. Fill your boots up because it's an absolute solid, stone cold moral. And I'm seriously considering unloading on that two to one. So I, I'm annoyed at myself for that. And it's another re- re- reminder that when you spot something that's a decent price, don't hum and haw about it. Just do it. Get stuck in. And I'm kicking myself over it. Right. Uh, anything that you've been watching lately that we should know about? Um, no, no. I t- tell you what, though. Oh, have I stumbled across a game oh. that I got for Christmas? Oh. Marvel Champions, the card game. Oh, oh! If you if you like strategy and you like Marvel and you have no friends like me, 
It's <laughs> ideal because you can play it on your own. <laughs> it's highly, highly recommended. It's a superb game. And in the, the small, wee bits of spare time I get, I've been trying to master this. Uh, it's what they call a living card game. And if you, don't, if you don't know what living card games are, go on to YouTube and just have a look at some of the videos. These are oh, superb. You get all sorts. Marvel, Lord of the Rings, um, stuff like that. Game of Thrones. Really, really highly recommend anyone who's a complete saddo like me. <laughs> Google living card games and get into that. Really, really good. So I've heard good things about about that. I heard about Marvel Snap as well. Uh, mm. Has been getting rave reviews. I haven't played those games, but I did during Rona. I did buy a PS4, which is now defunct Ooh. because the PS5 is coming along, <laughs> um, and you can keep that until another few years. Uh, but I got a steering wheel with it and what i got was the ea sports formula one game my favorite racing game which is world rally championship and uh gran turismo all on the ps4 my god it's brilliant and the wheel it's in the studio here with me the wheel will react and respond when the car crashes which is basically all the time is you're driving you're driving a ford focus or a ford fiesta at 120 on this narrow road and suddenly crest, turn and bash uh, and the car falls to pieces. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I am getting more and more into into the gaming world, but I can't say that I've been playing that Marvel game, But I'll, which is unusual for me when it comes to Marvel. But normally I'd be raving about that. I've gone pretty quiet about Marvel because Phase uh, 4 was... Oh, Jesus Christ, that She-Hulk was absolutely been, appalling. Uh, I've been spending all my hard-earned on buying expansion packs for this Marvel Champions <laughs> game that I got for Christmas. Uh, I've spent far, far too much, far, far more than I should do, really, so on you, a game that I've yet to fully master. So you've spent way <laughs> too much on expansion packs for a video game, and I've spent way too much on Lego. <laughs> COVID has an awful lot to answer for, because once that kicked in, I was bored, and that's what I started doing, was building Lego. And I, honestly, brilliant for the mind. It is an incredible thing because once, and I've, I've struggled to get into it in the last month. I've just been too busy because once you start building something, you you become consumed by it. And uh, mm. a friend of mine, Tony, would, would build, they, they've changed it. It's not back like back in, in our day when we were kids uh, where you'd get all of the pieces in one box and you'd have to stumble through all of them to figure out where they are. Now, they give them to you in numbered bags now. So it's easier to do. Um, but uh, my friend Tony will only do one bag a day which is a very clever thing to do. I just tear into the whole lot of it um, and, and get, stuck, <laughs> get in. stuck in. But there's, there's a, a Lego spaceship, which I was given for Christmas, uh, which celebrates 90 years of Lego play, and it's based on a 1980s design. And I really wanted that ship when I was a kid and never got it. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money. But I have it now. So I'm going to build that later on tonight, either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, but I think one of the reasons why I haven't been building as much Lego as I had been, is because I have become obsessed with the Taylor Sheridan universe of TV shows. And they're all available on Paramount+. Plus. It begins with... Yeah, Taylor Sheridan is the writer and director of Hell or High Water, which is an amazing film starring Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges. Uh, a terrific film, which I think you and I have talked about before, called Wind River. Mm. Jeremy Renner who's obviously on the sidelines now, and we wish him well, uh, and Elizabeth Olsen. That's an incredible film. John Bernthal has a role in it too. Uh, there's a new film, which is out on Sky, 
Those Who Wish Me Dead. I'm going to watch that tonight. His, he wrote the script for Sicario and Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, and is writing the third script. Love those films. Brilliant. Love those films. And then there's his TV shows. Yellowstone, which Kevin Costner won the Best Actor Award for um, at the Golden Globes the other night and didn't turn up because there was heavy wind and rain and the presenter actually burst out laughing when she realised. He didn't turn up because the show wasn't nominated for Best Show and he thought he wasn't going to win. Um, but he did, and he's awesome in it. Kevin Costner is amazing in Yellowstone. Uh, I watched it over the summer and was like, nah, I don't know about this. And something made me go back to it in November. In a month and a half, I binge-watched all five seasons. It's amazing. Uh, and during that period of time, while watching Yellowstone from like the end of November through to now, I've also watched the spin-off series, 1883, which is a prequel about how the Duttons get to that land and get to their ranch. That's hardcore, but it's very, very good. There's another spin-off show, which is then set in 1923, and it stars Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. It's called 1923. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the vast expanse of the Montana landscape is almost a character in these, in these shows. Uh, he's got Mayor of Kingstown, which comes back for season two this week. I think it's Sunday. Jeremy Renner is the lead in that with Kyle Chandler. Uh, that series is based in a town in America where the industry is the prison system, the privatized prison systems. And he's like the unofficial mayor who tries to keep the peace between the prison guards, the prisoners, and the police force. It's really good. And that comes back for its second season this weekend, Mayor of Kingstown. And he's got another new show coming out about uh, Zoe Saldana and Nicole Kidman are CIA agents. And one has to go on a black op mission, which sounds really cool. And he's just dropped a piece of info that he's filmed something in secret with four of the biggest actors in the world, a TV show, but he hasn't, he won't give any information on what it is. And no one knows what it is. And it's not the one with Zoe Saldana and Nicole Kidman. So... Taylor Sheridan. Guy's an absolute genius. He, get, he cameos in some of his shows as well. Um, Yellowstone, highly recommend that. Kevin Costner is amazing in it. Uh, the, the English actress Kelly Riley, who plays his daughter, Beth Dutton. Oh my God, she's fabulous. She's a badass in it, but she's absolutely amazing in it. That's a fantastic show. Uh, and any of the ones associated with it. 1883, 1923, which has just come out. Mayor of Kingstown, which comes out for season two this weekend. I would highly recommend all of those. I think the only streaming service I've really been watching over the last month is Paramount Plus. Because I've been binge watching Cheers and now Frasier. And I've only got one season of Frasier left to go. It's so good. So, so good. So there's your homework for the weekend. I'm just, um, and if I throw one more in there, you will have seen this. Because you know me, I'm I'm always late to everything. Um, I'm almost through it now um, on Netflix, The Sandman. Oh. Which I'm sure you'll have watched. Oh, it's class. Lord of Dreams. Um, very, 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 very good, isn't it? I've got, I think I've got two episodes to go now, and it just gets, it just gets better the further in yeah. you get to it. Uh, and Stephen Fry, he's he's brilliant in his little cameo appearances he makes. What is his character's um, name again? Is it Mister Green or Greening? I it's. Um, oh, I only watched the one last night as well, where it. it you found out that I was just going to give a spoiler. Yeah, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I won't give a spoiler, but uh, I can't really. I watched it last night and I can't remember the name of his character. There is, <laughs> even, he's, he's very good. 
there's even a bonus episode that they released because Netflix obviously released everything in the one go. And that's mm. becoming a bit of a problem for them because Sandman is so good that if they were releasing that weekly, uh, and look, it's not an exact science because I like the fact that you can just binge watch something straight away as well. But if that was a weekly show, I think there would have been an awful lot more talk about it. And it's it's yeah. a very expensive show to make. It's a big budget. Uh, all of it is shown on the screen. The special effects are amazing. But the the character, um, the guy who plays the the lead is Tom Sturridge. He's amazing as, mm. as Morpheus. It's very good, isn't he? Oh, he's terrific yeah. in, in that role. Um, but I wasn't I, I wasn't prepared when I started watching it. I wasn't prepared for how dark it is. Yeah, it's a lot darker than you imagine it's going to be, but in a in a really good way. And it starts dark as well because he is the Lord of Dreams, who is mm. tricked and kidnapped and held prisoner for years, and that has unintended consequences for the human race because now people can't dream, uh, or either either they couldn't dream or they were lost in time. They they were asleep and couldn't wake up. Um, on, until he was free. Yeah, it's and look, that's not too much of a spoiler because that's literally in the first episode, but it's really good. Uh, and they released a bonus episode like a week after it had come out with Michael Sheen, um, and his girlfriend. It is Michael Sheen, isn't it? He, um, famous for playing other people. He played. Yes. <laughs> Damned United. Uh, he, he. Um. Yeah. 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 So. Sheen is in it, the Welsh actor. Uh, him and his girlfriend are, are in a spin-off, uh, like a bonus episode. Is that why there's is that why there's eleven episodes yes. rather than ten? Yeah, because they released the extra one. Because I just did it. I did episode nine last night. Oh, you're in for a treat with the finale. You'll like that. I would highly recommend Sandman as well, um, if you haven't seen it yet. And I think a lot of people haven't. But there's a there is a bonus episode. It's the first half of it is animated. And it's self-contained, and then the second half of it is self-contained again, but it's live action, um, and it's the the star of it, uh, Tom Sturridge, is, is back in. But it's very good; it's very compelling. And there was a real risk that they weren't going to make a second one because of how expensive it is to make. Because there's something was confusing me when I started watching that. It begins with Warner Brothers Television. I was like, "Well, hang on, why is this mm. not on HBO then?" And HBO looked at it and went, we don't have the money to make that. Which, it's HBO, that's kind of crazy, given the fact that they're making the most expensive TV show in, in history in uh, House of the Dragon, which deservedly won the Golden Globe for best drama. Damn right it did. Um, but it has been renewed for a second season. It's just that Netflix don't have the money they once did. Uh, and and it's bizarre to go into the, the business side of things because it's now emerged that before the pandemic... Netflix were so close to taking over Paramount. They were going to buy Paramount. And the reason they wanted it was the studio. They wanted the lot in Hollywood. And why it fell apart was they didn't want CBS and they didn't want what Paramount Plus used to be. I think it was CBS All Access. They just wanted the studio and the franchises that they have, like Star Trek and the Mission Impossible franchises. And Paramount were like, no, we're not doing that. Like, it's either everything goes or nothing. And now Paramount Plus has become one of the biggest streaming services in the entire world. And they're knocking out hit after hit after hit on that. And Netflix have barely two bobs rubbed together and their subscriber base is falling to pieces. So it's it's remarkable how things can turn around very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, it's 
if you don't have Paramount Plus, if you've got Sky Cinema, you get it for free with Sky. Uh, and look, there's plenty of dodgy boxes knocking around, you know, IPTV and all that kind of stuff. You can get access to everything. There's just some brilliant content there. Um, but Sandman on Netflix, for sure, and Yellowstone and its related shows, 1923 and 1883. 1923 is better than 1883. And Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are both amazing. And Helen Mirren's doing an Irish accent. Get on board. Right. I think we've covered everything. We've given you winners and we've given you entertaining stuff to watch over the weekend as well. And we've talked about some of our pastimes. His crippling addiction to a Marvel computer game. My crippling addiction to Lego, which both has us in severe debt. Uh, so we're going to get out of that this weekend with winners galore. Come on, Mark Milligan. Until next week, my friend. Thank you. And Cheltenham specials coming your way very, very soon as well. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. Hopefully, we're going to be in gravy as well. Talk to you soon. Be safe. Be well. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only. Terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday, the ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today.